our thoughts from Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're going to look at the words of Jesus. If you're taking notes this morning, our, our title will be the, Seek First the Kingdom of God. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read through verses 19 through 24. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. And then verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In this section, Jesus breaks down the fleshly struggles that we experience. Each of these issues speak to the heart. Treasures, the eye, and servitude are inner attitudes that motivate our outward actions. And Jesus describes these using physical illustrations. You know, we are all aware of how the passing of time leads to the decay of our earthly possessions. When I was about 10 years old, the first big boy purchase that I made using my monthly allowance that I saved for over a year was a Nintendo GameCube. And back in the day, in 2005, those were about $100, which that was a lot of money for someone who'd never worked. Um, and I saved and saved and saved, and I cried and cried and cried because my siblings all got to spend their allowance while I was saving, saving, saving. Um, but when I got it, it was awesome. And I finally had something that I'd worked really hard for, and I was excited about it. But you know where it is now? It's in the top of my closet, collecting dust, doing nothing. Uh, because the Nintendo Switch has come along. Life has grown. Uh, technology. You know, things just get better and better. And that's what happens to our earthly possessions. They decay. They rust. They're not as useful to us as they once were. Things break. They become outdated. Our bodies fail us as we grow old. But Jesus says, now imagine a place where nothing is phased by time or corruption. Even more difficult, he says, tell your flesh to value that place that you've only ever dreamed of more than any of the places that you've physically experienced for yourself. That's a hard teaching if you stop and consider what he's saying. But it's important that we do so so that we can get to the full weight of verse 21 where he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are we putting our treasures today? The second illustration that Jesus makes is about the eye. And he uses a similar parable of this in Luke chapter 11, verses 34 and 35. Now, our eyes are a window through which we perceive the world around us. We use our cone of vision to make uh, observations that help us to establish understanding. And you know, for people who have vision problems, life is a lot more difficult. If that's been your case, you can probably relate. My dad has a, a weird thing in his eye that I forget about all the time because he never talks about it. But he, he can't really see in one eye straight. He can kind of see on the sides. And it's affected him his whole life. But it's not something that I think about on the daily. You know, for me, you can tell I wear glasses. Um, some of you may have eye problems like that. Mine is awful. <laughs> if I were to take my glasses off, I couldn't even see Aaron Batty in the second row here. 
I can't read. I can't do anything hardly without my glasses. And sometimes at night I'll put my glasses in the bathroom when I'm washing my face and I won't put them back on and I'll go to bed and then I need to get back up again in the night. And what do I do? Well, I get to walking and I'm stumbling around. I jam my knee on the corner. There may be a light in God's window, but there's not a light in my apartment window because it is backed up to another apartment building. And so I struggle when I can't see. And we do the same when we can't see spiritually. The King James Version renders this uh, about a good eye. It says it as single, suggesting a singular version is best for the one who's striving to be heavenly minded. And so Jesus is teaching that it's best for us to have a spiritual vision that rests solely on God and his kingdom in order to positively affect the rest of our ways, which reminds me of uh, 1 John 1 and verse 7, where the writer says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus will continually cleanse us from our sin. It's a singular unified path. Now, thirdly, Jesus presents this paradox of serving two masters. And this verse kind of serves as a bridge between the two sections of Jesus' teaching on valuing heavenly treasures and then the teaching that follows, which is about prioritizing our faith. And as believers, you know, we're going to find ourselves pulled in all directions all the time because we have both physical uh, things that we need to take care of and we have spiritual things to take care of. But we've got to learn to prioritize those things. Are we dragging God along for the ride through our daily grind? Or we're letting him lead uh, as we work with intention. We've got to remember our place as his servants. This kind of links back to the eye that we'll have a singular vision to live for the glory of God. And if we do that, then we won't keep looking back to focus on what we left behind to follow Jesus. The next section is verses 25 through 32, which we'll read now. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus continues in verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Verse 31, therefore do not uh, worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Jesus moves into this second section with some reassurance. All of these physical struggles that are mentioned before are now met by the God of heaven who provides for his people. Now, honesty hour, I have never met someone who didn't struggle with worrying. And if you have, you need to introduce that person to all of us so we can figure out how to get that down. What are your daily worries? I spend my morning shower getting all the worries out, you know, or you're scrubbing in your hair, getting all that, all that stuff out. I'm just getting all the worries out in the morning. I'm thinking, I'm a first grade teacher. And so I wake up really early, I get to school really early. And I'm thinking, I gotta email that kid's parents today 
Um, I got to make sure I get this out for them. I got to get that special seat so they will be successful. Um, I need to make sure that I really uh, send a light to this kid because he needs some encouragement. And I try to do all that before I start my day. It is so important for us to have times that we think about when are we going to worry and when are we going to live. It's important to distinguish between productive and unproductive worry. Productive worry usually starts with how will I or when will I? How will I pay for my bills? How will I schedule this time with the kids and with my spouse? When will I make time to pray today? Those are things we're trying to schedule. Unproductive worry often starts with the phrase, what if? What if I don't get this done? What if I'm never going to do this? Those are things that are usually out of our control because we don't know about that. But if you make the time for it, you get it done. The King James Version renders this phrase, do not worry, as take no thought. But I think it's important that we stop and consider the intent of Jesus' words for us today. I don't think he's teaching that it's wrong for us to worry or wrong for us to plan for the future. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he planned for his uh, visits to different places in Romans chapter 1 and verse 13, as well as Philemon uh, verse 22. He had to make travel arrangements as he moved around from place to place in order to preach the gospel and to do it productively. And so Jesus is teaching, don't let your worries or your anxieties consume you. And, you know, living in this world today, we got to admit that can be difficult to do. Perhaps it's because we're so busy all the time. But when's the last time we stopped to carve out a time to just stop what we're doing, to meditate? No distractions. Have you ever sat in a quiet room with just you? Maybe not even your spouse or your friend or whoever you might live with, just you all by yourself. Can you do that? Can you put your phone away for a little while? That's hard. But that's something we need to do so that we can be one with the Lord. The list goes on and on. Uh, to quiet our spirits, Jesus says to look at the birds. Look at nature around you. What is your worth in comparison to these things? It is so much more. He says, I have created you to have dominion over them. You know, we don't really stop to think about how a lot of animals uh, get their daily sustenance. I'm a city boy, and in the city, we have these crazy massive flocks of birds that like to hover over the power lines. And when I went to college uh, in the great city of Denton, there was a Raising Cane's chicken fingers there, and they just were always there. And they're taking up the parking lots or on top of the thing. It's crazy. Just trying to get some chicken fingers, I guess. But those hundreds of birds that are swooping around in their choreographed determination I don't really stop and think, how are all those birds getting their breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or whatever they need to survive? Yet, they do. Um, or maybe they're just picking off chicken fingers from unsuspecting college boys. But nevertheless, they get it done. Think about the people Jesus is addressing during this time. They don't have a car. to drive. They can't drive a few miles to the grocery store. They're not firing up a microwave to finish off the leftovers from their weekly meal prep. Yet Jesus told them, don't worry. We live in an era of convenience, yet we still struggle with worries. And so we've just got to put those in the right place. If we get consumed with our worries and anxieties, we're going to lose focus on what's really important. Now lastly, verse 33 and 34. Let's read that. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 33. Jesus concludes this portion of his sermon by saying, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things 
shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the main thrust of Jesus' point in this portion of his sermon. He's only really alluded to this idea of submission before this time. He says, store up your heavenly treasures, focus your vision, serve God, choose to worry less. But now he's direct and he says, put spiritual concerns first and desire God's righteous rule above all things. That's the answer to the fleshly struggle. Putting uh, too much stock in physical stuff, seek God first. Having trouble guarding your eyes to walk the path in singularity, seek God first. Worrying too much about the daily details and how everything's going to work out, seek God first. If we put the church first and allow God to lead us in life, he will reward us ultimately with our needs met, the things that we ultimately need. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, Jesus reveals this promise by telling his disciples to deny themselves and take up the cross. And he says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, when we read Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, you might find that there are some people out there, and maybe some of us, who read it a little bit differently than we find it in the scriptures. Sometimes, maybe unknowingly, we read it like this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, except when X, Y, Z. Then take care of all this, and then serve God, and, and all these things will be added to you. You ever find yourself doing that? It's kind of hard to, to tell yourself that, but maybe that says. Maybe you have the great exception of a family to take care of. You think, I need to provide for them first before I do these things for God. But Jesus says in Matthew 10, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Our family is one of our greatest blessings we can receive from God. You can ask uh, my girlfriend. I've been swooning about all these girl dads here at the meeting this week. It's awesome. I, I think parenting is going to be one of those amazing things in life. Uh, but... What are we teaching our family when we tell them they are more important to us than our Heavenly Father? Where do we place our family in relation to the kingdom? The second great exception we sometimes make. Seek first the kingdom of God except when you have a career or time obligation that makes it difficult to do so. In that case, get your work done for man and then give what's left to God. And then all these things will be added unto you. This one can be tough because we're not really in control a lot of the time of our hours of uh, our work schedule. That's often up to our employers. Perhaps you picked a career path that requires long days and tired nights. I know I did as a teacher, uh, but if it ever causes me to ne neglect my spiritual health, then I need to stop. And I need to figure out what I'm going to do to make it right. Because Jesus asked me the question, what will I do? What will I give in exchange for my soul? Will I give my job in exchange for my soul? I hope not. And I hope you can say the same. The last great exception, this one's for my young peeps, seek first the kingdom of God, except when you're choosing someone to marry. In that case, seek relational compatibility, seek chemistry, attraction, and follow your emotions, and then serve God, and all these things will be added to you. That's a dangerous, dangerous thing. And it is worrisome to me that so many of my peers are entering the dating scene only to pursue romantic relationships with people who don't love God. 
And we make all sorts of excuses for that. We try to say that the Bible doesn't say what, I, what, what you want to say in that way. But think about the logistics of it. Giving your intimate connection to someone who does not value what you value, what you should value. Do we trust that Jesus will provide for our daily needs? Amazing book, The Sacred Search by Gary Thomas. If you're a young person today seeking love, engagement, if you're a parent, The Sacred Search by Gary Thomas. He says, do you think it's possible the second most important decision you'll ever make, who you marry, should be based on Jesus' fundamental agenda for our lives, seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness? If our choice of marital partner is an exception to that, what wouldn't qualify as an exception? If Jesus' words aren't relevant for such a crucial decision, why would they have any importance to any lesser decision? The degree to which you compromise on this message is the degree to which you put your future satisfaction in jeopardy by opening wide the door to frustration and regret, end quote. If that doesn't challenge us today to reconsider what we're looking for in love, then we might need to get back in the Word of God and make our priorities a better thing. The preacher in Ecclesiastes 12 and 1 and verse 13, he says it pointedly when writing this exhortation to remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is man's all. If we want to live our best life on earth, we must hear and attend to the words of Jesus when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you.